The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner, the host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. The show is coming up in just a minute, but first I wanted to tell you that this Thursday I'm running a free hour-long webinar where I will teach you how to grow fruit trees with ease. The webinar is great for beginning and intermediate level growers. I hope you can join me this Thursday, November 1st, 2018 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can sign up at www.orchardpeople.com events. That's orchardpeople.com events. I hope you enjoy the webinar and I hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everybody. Berries are supposed to be so healthy for us. They're high in antioxidants, and they're supposed to fight off cancer and chronic disease. So it would be so fantastic to eat fresh berries every day. The problem is that when I go to the grocery store to buy them, they can be really expensive. In my city, a tiny package of blueberries can go for $6. And it looks like these expensive packages contain maybe about two tablespoons of berries. It's true that if I shop around, I can get a better deal. But wouldn't it be better if I just grew my own berries? Now, after 10 years of experience, I know how to grow fruit trees. But berries are still relatively new to me, so I want my berry growing experiences to be easy. So that's the topic of today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. Easy berries. What are they? How and where do you grow them? And do they taste as good as or better than supermarket fruit? My special guest today is Bob Bors, co-author of the book Growing Fruit in Northern Gardens and the head of the fruit breeding program of the University of Saskatchewan. Now, if you email us during the live show with your questions, your comments, or just to say hi, you could actually win a copy of Bob's beautiful book, valued at $39.95. In your email, you can also tell us what types of easy berries that you like to grow. 
So email us now with your question or comment or whatever at instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to tell us your first name and where you're writing from. So now my special guest, Bob Bores, is on the line. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Susan. So we all, if you heard my little introduction there, we all want to grow organic stuff, an abundance of it, and berries are so wonderful and delicious. But is there really such a thing as a berry plant that almost grows itself? Well, you, you really need to know some, some basic information about each crop, but there are some that are a lot easier. Uh, there, although there is a tendency for what I call the Garden of Eden uh, complex, where people think if I plant it, it'll just grow magically. I, I understand that one. That's where I started 10 years ago with fruit trees. <laughs> And I guess you study this stuff and you know how much really is involved, whether it's with fruit trees or berries, that there are some there are some things you do need to do to keep those uh, trees and shrubs and plants healthy and productive. Yeah, and the biggest barrier to growing it easy is, is not having weeds mm. you know, that compete with the plants. Like we had some uh, cherries, we were, we wrote bush cherries, right, not the tree ones and we had grass growing next to them and they stayed stunted for seven years and the other ones were full grown in five years and producing fruit and uh yeah so that's like that's the biggest uh stop to having an easy berry i guess well and and i think that's a really perfect example because you do see that a lot where people whether it's fruit trees or bushes People want to maximize their space, um, and they will plant, for instance, their shrub surrounded by strawberry plants or uh, whatever else, or weeds. And and um, I guess it really does end up being a battle who gets the water and nutrition between the competition, whether it's the weeds or the other plants, and then the actual tree or, or berry shrub. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, I'm just curious, since you brought it up, like, is there a rule who will win the battle? Would it, would it be the more established plant? Um, are there some weeds that actually take more energy than others? Well, I think grass is more invasive than the other than other stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, it, the tendency, well, maybe I'll just tell a short story. My my first fruit class, the professor asked us, "How big? How old do you think these apple trees are?" And I shot up my hand and said 12 years old because that's how old my dad's apple tree is the same age and he laughed and said no it's five years old but my dad had dug a little hole in his grass and planted the pot there mm. and weeds grew right up to it and it just took forever to grow up hmm. <laughs> so again it just goes to show what 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 conditions and uh, hands-on care that you offer that plant well, it's funny, again, coming from my background as a community orchardist, and so we don't grow a lot of berries, but one thing that we do have in our orchard park is service berries, which is, do you want to talk about service berries? They're, they go by different names, and as far as I'm concerned, for us here in Ontario, it's one of the easiest trees that I have uh, grown, and it, the fruit is so delicious. So tell us about service berries. 
Well, surface berries are actually Amelanchier alifolia, more commonly known as Saskatoons, and uh, that it's actually derived from a native name that starts sounding like Saska and ends in tune, but goes on for ever and ever with other syllables. Yes. <laughs> and so when the Europeans first heard it, actually that's how they named Saskatoon. The guy, uh, the guy was thinking he, the native guy. He was asking the native guy, what's the name of that village over there? And the native guy thought he was talking, pointing to Saskatoon bushes. Mm-hmm. And so he said this name, and the guy wrote it down as Saskatoon, and that's how the city of Saskatoon get, got named after the berry. But anyway, the uh, Saskatoon bush is a relative of apples, and it tends to have a mild flavor, uh, but it grows as a bush. And actually, bushes are a lot easier to maintain than like an apple tree because you just let them grow, the branches grow fairly high, and then you thin them out from the bottom for pruning, right? You're not, you're not trying to shape a bush, but you're, you just thin it every now and then. Like when a branch gets seven or ten years old, you cut it out from the bottom and let new ones start. And why is that? Why would the old branches be, are they less productive for some reason? Well, they, they keep producing fruit on last year's wood, so eventually your fruit goes is so tall and out of reach you can't even pick it without bending the whole bush over. So and, in, in essence, from uh, pruning or cutting those branches off uh, from the bottom, the older branches, you're actually bringing down the height of your bush, I guess. Yeah, and you're, well, you're partially rejuvenating it. Mm-hmm. And it's a general principle that they actually studied in Saskatoon's but we use it on other fruits, is that you never remove more than 25% of your bush in a year. Because if you go more than 25% thinning, then the plant goes vegetative and doesn't make many flowers the next season. Mm-hmm. So if you want production to keep going, often you'll just you know, thin out a few old branches every year. And let's say you had 12, and you'd go for three of them. And it's very simple. It only takes a few moments to cut those, versus a tree fruit, you're shaping them to hold the heavy weight of the apples or plums or whatever else you're growing. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's talk about, we'll talk about cultivars and different types of these service berries, um, but what, what does the fruit taste like? It's kind of a sweet, mild flavor. It's not very acidic. Uh, they do have seeds that irritate some people, but when you cook them, the seeds get soft, so then you don't notice. They make nice pies. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I find them incredibly productive. I, I love them. I find them very blueberry-like in a way. And on our tree, and I don't know where it's a shrubby tree, um, we wait till the berries are sort of, they, they're beautiful little red berries, but we wait, wait till they turn a sort of darker purple and somehow they're sweeter that way. Is that a common thing with different types of uh, Saskatoon or service berries? Yeah, and I, I would like to make it one of my favorite generalizations is uh, a lot of the purple fruits look purple four or five days before they're really ripe all the way through. Because mm, oh. <laughs> you know, like, if you pick them as soon as they're purple, usually they're not ready yet. Uh Aha. Saskatoons will get kind of a pinkish tint, but they'll taste better. Uh, Blueberries are the same way. They won't taste good when they first turn. 
and hascap berries, they also don't, uh, they're actually green on the middle and they'll turn purple inside when they're ready. Hmm. So with these, and again, this confuses a lot of people, including myself. So when I buy a service berry plant, you know, shrub, they can be look like trees and they do sometimes prune them into trees so that you have like one central trunk. I feel like I've just purchased a native tree to North America. Um, I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, and, but I know that there are different cultivars and I don't know how different those cultivars are um, and, and how that all works. Um, so could you talk a little bit about, is there a difference between service berries and Saskatoon berries? Is there a flavor difference? Is it a different cultivar? Well, there's actually 17 species of Amelanchia in North America. And it goes all the way down to Mexico. Uh, but the most flavorful one is the Alnifolia, which is most likely what they're selling. Um, and I think all the cultivars except one were actually just wild ones that they found, somebody found and named it. Hmm. Right? And the one that is, was not in the wild was just a seedling of one that was from the wild. <laughs> it wasn't even crossbred to anything else. So when I'm getting a cultivar, this will be a grafted shrub? Is that possible? No, no, they're on their own roots, and they will actually make rhizomes and spread. Mm. Right, so, but the Saskatoon rhizomes are really tough. Like, they're hard to dig out, and, uh, but they can spread, so you, it's probably better to any of the spreading shrubs to have them be their own little garden Mm-hmm. Not don't put them in the edge of your vegetable garden because they'll want to take over eventually. Really? But Saskatoons aren't Saskatoons aren't as bad as some of the other ones, like raspberries. Oh yeah. So, but I have never noticed that a Saskatoon uh, or a serviceberry tree spreads hugely. Um, we like our oldest one is ten years old, and it takes up space, and it's like a tree. Like I, I leave it like a tree with space around it, like a tree, but doesn't seem to be crawling all over the park. Well, there is, uh, there was some studies initiated that showed if you if they're planted shallowly, shallowly, they don't spread as much. Aha. Uh-huh. So it depends on how maybe the original planting, because it's harder for it to do. Uh, suckering if it was planted rather shallow okay and, and so that might it might be that tree form is is delaying any rhizomes maybe yes now i find that and, and you write about in particular in your book about um uh fruit growing fruit in cooler climates um, now, what kind of range like where can people grow service berry trees you know quite easily well, I think uh, most areas in Canada, you tend to have, uh, in southern, probably in southern Ontario and uh, southern BC, it might be on the warm side, you might have more diseases. Mm-hmm. Like they tend to get leaf diseases if the conditions are wet and warm during springtime. So in Saskatchewan, we'll lose a crop every four or five years if we have a spring like that. Uh, unless you're spraying like with sulfur or some something to stop fungal. So what disease. you're saying is that the warmer your climate, the less healthy your amelanchier or serviceberry 
tree or shrub will be. But you, there's different species, right? So uh, that don't taste as good. Like they also call them June berries, uh, and that's actually a different species that's more into the U.S. So tell me about June berries. I always wondered about that. Well, I don't know too much about them, <laughs> but but where did uh, they get their name from? Like here, they well, in June they they bear fruit in June in the South. But uh-huh. Saskatoons are usually a July crop here in Saskatchewan. So a June berry is related, but perhaps in the more southern climates, we have lots of uh, listeners in the states as well, so they may be more familiar with the June berries. But it's a little confused because some people call the Saskatoon species June berries. Okay, somebody's trying to confuse us all here with all these different <laughs> names for the same plant. I protest. This is not good. <laughs> So, you know, we're talking about one plant, the amelanchier plant. Just to confuse things even more, which I like to do from time to time, there is apparently one that you mentioned to me that there's an amelanchier that can be grown as far as south as Mexico. Denticulate is what I found on the Internet. Oh, okay. Yeah, D-E-N-T-I-C-U-L-A-T-E. Have, how, how did you hear about that? I was at a conference where I was asked to talk about Saskatoon berries, an international conference, and somebody in the conference was from Mexico who had studied the other plant. And it has pink fruit instead of blue. I would love to know if any listeners have tried to grow that. That would be super interesting, and if it tastes as good as well. Well, apparently it's a thing to go, people gather it in the wild in Mexico. Wow. I don't think it's the southern part of Mexico, but... Uh, it was a wide range over the northern part. Hey, so it is in in North America. Service berries are native, right? They were here, you know, forever. Yeah. So, is this something that First Nations had used to to make a certain type of food? Do I have some sort of recollection about that? Did they dry it and use I it? I think for... they used it in pemmican a lot. Right. So mix it with meat, and the the bit of acidity helps preserve, I guess, the meat better or something. Well, I, I got to say that for, for myself, for Easy Berries, that is my top one. I totally love the taste. I love how easy they are, at least for us in the cooler climates to grow. So I'd love to hear from listeners and folks to see, have you been successful with Amelanchier, with Service Berries, with June Berries, whatever you want to call them, even though it just confuses everybody to call them different names. So That's interesting. One other one that I want to talk to, we've got some questions and some comments here, but the other one that I personally find incredibly easy to grow is elderberries. Now, I had a beautiful elderberry bush in my backyard for many, many years. Gorgeous. Uh, the, The insects love it. The blossoms are beautiful and can be made into elderberry champagne. Um, the berries for me were kind of small and finicky, so I never really used the berries. But during a visit to Chicago, I discovered that there is an amazing cultivar that was in a community garden there that was heavy with fruit. They were big berries, too, so you could just snip off the fruit and make it into jam and stuff. So, yeah, I was looking up. There are some different, there are various different cultivars. Um, do you Do you guys grow elderberries? No, we don't grow them. I've seen them growing in Oregon. They had a gene, gene bank collection there. Okay. Yeah, so those are another of my favorite. And just doing a quick internet search, I saw some of the big buried cultivars. There were some names, Blue, York, or Adams. 
So, so those ones are super easy. Um, and, uh, that's a lot of fun. Now I've just got a few comments from listeners and this is from Facebook in particular. We've got Tom in Ohio. I had asked, what is your favorite, um, bear, easy berry to grow? So Tom in Ohio writes strawberry. He likes it because it can be propagated by division and by seed, um, and he says raspberry tip layers are easy peasy. So Tom in Ohio is talking about he likes growing these fruit because it's so easy to propagate them and spread them. Yeah, and well, the tip layering he he must be either growing purples or black raspberries. Okay. Because those are the ones that tip layer. The red raspberries don't oh. do that very well. And what is tip layering exactly? Tip layers where the branch leans over and can touch the ground, and then it'll reroot. Oh, that is so easy! You can do that with uh, yellow dogwoods as well, can't you? Yeah, and but they do it naturally. The black raspberries, but the purple raspberry is a hybrid between the red and black. Okay. And it has the ability to do that also. Now, are the black raspberries as tasty as the red? In the past, I've had them, and they're quite seedy. I don't know if that was just a not a very nice cultivar or... or... Well, they, they tend to have smaller fruit, but the, I think the same size seed. So, relatively speaking, it seems like there's more raspberries. So... And, but they have a, a quite a different flavor to them. They... Uh, I don't know if, if you'd say it's a little tinge of black currant added to a raspberry. Mm. I grew up with my, they were in my grandfather's, the hill behind his house. And that's what I grew up eating uh, when I visited him. And that was in New York State. So. so you didn't find them too seedy to be enjoyable? Well, you know, my wife hates raspberries because of the seeds. <laughs> And I always say, why is she chewing them so hard? Mm, you <laughs> but, just swallow those seeds down there. Okay, okay. But, uh, yeah, they actually, if you look at their seed under the microscope, it looks like a peach pit. Mm-hmm. It's highly corrugated and shaped in a wedge shape that's easy to get stuck in your teeth. Okay. Versus some other fruits don't have that shape of fruit or they're small. Like strawberries have a similar shape, but they're half the size and smooth. So they don't, people don't get annoyed with strawberry seeds. No, you don't really notice them. Yeah. It's interesting because online on uh, Facebook, it seemed that the common, everybody felt that raspberries uh, were for them the easy berries. Now here I've got Henry from Wisconsin writes raspberries as his favorite, by the way. We cut them down each winter and let them grow all year. No need to weed as they choke out the weeds. So another reason why why uh, people like raspberries. Yeah, and, and raspberries are, you have to remember, there's summer and fall bearing raspberries. And the, the summer berry, ber- the fall bearing ones, you cut them to the ground and they come up and they fruit later on in the year, usually end of August, September in our climate. So they're even less care than the other ones where you have to cut out the dead canes and let the young ones grow. Okay. Yeah. So that's the tricky thing with raspberries, isn't it? Um, Oh, my goodness. You've just got to make sure you know what cultivar you have because, you know, Henry talks about the ones you can cut down each winter and then you'll get it on the first. You'll get berries on your first year wood. But if you get the wrong thing, you'll never have any berries. But, you know, I. When I think of raspberries, I think in my 
university, I had a soil scientist come up and berate me in the hallway because we have a plant sale. And she says, you should have a warning on every raspberry plant. I planted one of your plants and it's taken over the whole garden. Well, exactly. <laughs> and so I, I think raspberries, it's really nice to have a separate area for them. You yeah. Know, like a little island in your lawn, in their own little garden. And if they try to escape, you mow them down when you cut the grass. <laughs> I think that's a good idea, and I think that's why raspberries are challenging for urban growers. You know, if you don't have a big backyard, that might not be the best bet. Yeah. Oh, I should tell you one of my favorite uh, consumer tricks with raspberries. Oh, do. The um, the breeders of raspberries, for the, the store ones, they've actually bred their raspberries to be a bright, light red. And they said people think they're not quite ripe and they'll last longer. But it's not true. A dark red raspberry lasts just as long as a light red one. They don't actually ripen off the bush. Hmm. So, yeah, they make these big ones in the in the grocery store, and there's no reason for them to be red. And actually, the purple raspberries are much more productive and bigger, but because they're darker color, people think they're rotting or something. But it's okay. not true. Wow. Okay, I just realized we have loads of questions that somehow I missed. Sorry, guys, okay. sending in your questions. But I'll tell you what, let's take a moment. And we're going to go to our commercial break. And then we're going to dive into you guys have some great questions here. And I'm so sorry that I missed them. I was hogging Bob's time. So are you okay, Bob, hanging on sure. to uh, on the line? Great. Yep. Well, you guys are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101, where we talk about fruit trees and food forests, permaculture and arboriculture. I'm Susan Poisner, the author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we will be back after this short break. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to EarthAliveCT.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you want your fruit trees to live a long and healthy and productive life, it's essential that you water them properly when they're young. You need to water slowly and deeply so the moisture seeps into your young tree's expanding root system. That sounds easy enough, but you'd be surprised at how often the water you provide for your trees just rolls away, leaving its young roots high and dry. That's why we at TreePans.com have worked with orchards to develop a product that ensures all the water gets to your tree's root system. Our expandable tree pans funnel rain or irrigation water to the drip line of your young trees. 
Additionally, tree pans eliminate weed growth under the tree canopy, as well as protect your trees from mowers, tractors, and weed whips. Tree pans are used in orchards, city parks, and in residential yards. And once your young tree is established, you can move your tree pans to another young tree. Learn more about tree pans at treepans.com. Looking for a quick, easy to apply, and all natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer, and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children and pets. You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-sol.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. I'm Susan Poisner, and this is the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. On this live radio show and podcast, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. Thank you so much for tuning in. So today on the show, we've been talking about easy-to-grow berries, and my guest today is Bob Bors, co-author of the book Growing Fruit in Northern Gardens. He's also the head of the fruit breeding program of the University of Saskatchewan. Now, if you are listening to the show live, you can win a copy of Bob's book valued at $39.95 just by entering our contest. Just send me an email right now with a question, a comment, or just to say hi. And remember to send me your first name and where you're writing from. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. So in the first part of the show, we chatted about growing service berries and, and elderberries. But Bob, you played a role in uh, breeding hascaps, which is a relatively new type of berry. Um, we've got a question about that from Brent. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about what are hascaps? Well, they're a member of the honeysuckle family. Uh, they have a berry that's uh, often long and blue. Most similar, I think, to blueberries and raspberry sort of flavor. Um, they're kind of exciting because they're the first fruit to ripen in the year before strawberries. And uh, they're very cold hardy. And you can use them in lots of things. Like you can make wine with them. You can make jam. You can uh, put them in like almost anything you do a berry. Uh, you could make a pie with it, but they're soft so that it wouldn't turn into a, like a mush 
but uh, mushy pie, maybe a pudding. People just love the flavors. So. Yeah, they're actually very delicious. I've had some fresh ones before. So, um, so Brent writes here. Hello, Susan. This is Brent from Michigan. Tell Bob I love his work with Hascaps. Does he have any new information on his new varieties of Hascaps, Blizzard, Beauty, and Beast? You're good at naming your varieties, by the way. Um, like what <laughs> pollinator is the best for Blizzard? Thanks, Susan. Love the show and can't wait to read Bob's new book. So, well, the three were uh, meant to pollinate each other. Well, Beast pollinates Blizzard and Beauty. Aha. Uh -huh. they pollinate each other. One of the misconceptions with Hascap is they think one is a pollinator and the other one isn't, but they both pollinate each other. So if you got a beauty in the 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 beast, beauty and the beast, they would pollinate each other. Okay. Or if you had blit, but uh, blizzard fruits first and blooms a little bit early, then beast and then beauty. So you just need to make sure they're all flowering at the same time. Is, well, it, they, is that all you need to consider? Or? Well, the, the species, some plants bloom earlier than others. And it, it, does, it matters if you have a slowly warming spring. It spreads them all out. The early ones might be, you know, two weeks before the other ones bloom. But in a year where uh, it warms up really quickly, they overlap very easily. Okay. okay. But that's the same with any fruit that has to be cross-pollinated. They have to be in sync. And uh, like this year, we had a delayed spring and then it warmed up quickly. All our fruits were blooming at the same time, practically. So hmm. So everything could have cross-pollinated everything else, like even if yeah. the cultivars weren't really kind of 100% matched up. So, well, that, yeah, housecaps are very delicious. Um, and so you feel that they're easy to grow. They have very few problems. Right. They, they can take minus seven to an open flower, and they won't lose the fruit. And they usually, in our location, the earliest ones bloom a month before the last frost. And around the time of the last frost, they're starting to change color already. Hmm. So, like, that's super fast. Often... Uh, two weeks before uh, before strawberries would be ripe in our location. But we've been breeding them to last longer and longer, to have different varieties that could both coincide with strawberries or be after strawberry season. Mm -hmm. Wow. So those three were actually designed to be uh, the blizzard is early July, beast is mid-July, and beauty is end of July. Hmm. And so what's special in terms of flavor are these cultivars? Do they taste very different or? Well, our varieties taste pretty good. The um, Hascap has the oldest varieties that were released something 50 years ago tasted like tonic water. Oh. <laughs> and some of the Russians actually bred them to be a tonic water replacement for adding to vodka. Oh, my goodness. And unfortunately, those were the first varieties that came to North America. <laughs> so it really turned off people on the whole crop. But in the 90s, 1990s, some people brought over better flavored ones. And we started breeding them around the year 2001. And uh, some of them taste really good. Some are lower acid, 
Mm-hmm. But they're very, they have very complex flavors, kind of like wine, wine grapes. Some of those taste like half-cap, and it depends on the variety. Delish. Yeah, the ones that I tried were really, really good. We've got a question here. Oh, this is really nice. This is from Alicia. I don't know where she's from. Let's see. She says, hi, Susan and Bob. Bob, your book inspired me to return to school as an adult to study agricultural science. Susan, your book solidified my decision. Thank you both. Oh, my gosh, I am blushing. Oh, wow. Isn't that nice? That is so nice. So Alicia has some questions. My questions are, is it a good idea to cover my young blueberry and currant bushes planted this year in burlap for the winter? What a good question. She has a second question. I'm also curious to know why blackberries were not included in your book, Bob. Thank you for your time. Oh, goodness, that was lovely. So first question, should she cover her young blueberry and currant bushes planted this year in burlap for the winter? Usually you don't have to because usually that's something someone does if there's really heavy snowfall in an area and it's likely to break it, especially like if you're if it's near your house and the eaves, you know, the roof of the house is going to have snow sliding down. But uh, people, I know when I saw uh, photos in Japan, people covering it with burlap, uh, but it was half, half cap. And the main purpose was that their snowfall was so heavy it was going to break the branches. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel this is, there's part of me that says, look, we got to teach these plants to be tough. You know, if you live in a winter climate, like, is, yeah. are, are we babying them too much if we well, burlap you know, them? There's, there's one point element of what the concern is. When you plant that fruit bush the first year, Sometimes it's out of sync with the seasons because it was maybe grown in the greenhouse or something. Mm. And we often have dieback that first year after planting. But then the next year it's in sync. So we don't have that problem. So Alicia's question is actually good because she doesn't know where she bought the blueberry and currant bushes from and whether they came straight from a greenhouse. So, yeah, I guess. Is there any harm if she does wrap them in burlap for the winter? You know, I, I hope she's got more than one bush. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I always like to say, when in doubt, do it both ways. <laughs> well, I think that's and a look, great idea. And Alicia, I, maybe you'll tell us how it goes. I would be more inclined to put leaves around it than uh-huh. a burlap. Because yeah. when they start to, in the spring, maybe that's too comfortable for mice to live under and chew on them. Or uh, maybe they're still making photosynthesis or they start earlier and you forgot to take the burlap up. So so nice insulation with a bit of leaves around them. That sounds pretty good. The other question she had is she's curious, why did you not include blackberries in your book? Because they won't grow here. Ah, good reason. <laughs> They're not hardy here at all. Right. I love them, but uh, I grew up south of the border, so... They, don't, they just don't survive here. In they don't Stanford. survive there. So we've got an email from Jane. So Jane, she doesn't say where she is from, but she asks, what are the best berries for part shade and do berries benefit from willow mulch? I don't know, uh, Bob, if you heard the show a couple of months ago we did on willow mulch and its miraculous powers to make our plants healthy. But um, so here's the, the first question is, what are the best berries for part shade? I always say part shade means part fruit production. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I happen to know that the alpine strawberry, because that was my PhD research, the alpine strawberry has more tolerance for shade than most other fruits. Hmm. But it's every time you have partial shade, you get less fruit. What about currants? Are they another option? Because uh, there's some studies seem to show that currants do, you know, if you do only have part shade, they'll they'll be okay. Uh, they may not produce. Well, as I much guess milk. it depends on what how what she means by part. Yeah, which part? <laughs> you know, if it's only if it's half a day, it's probably going to be okay. Right. But if it's one fourth of a day, right. The the, the plants are going to get stretchy. Um, consider thinning the trees that are causing the shade if it doesn't work out. That's a good solution. And yeah, and alpine strawberries are fantastically delicious. They're so I they, I find them super easy to grow as well. So what a great option. Yeah, I would think try that as your last resort. <laughs> <laughs> or your first try. <laughs> your first try. You big experimenter. And she also, so she asked, do berries benefit from willow mulch? Do you know much about that? Have you experimented at all with willow mulch? Uh, not in particular. I mean, plants in general benefit from mulch, you know, because it, it uh, regulates the temperature. It keeps the moisture in if it's getting dry. Um, yeah, the particular about willows, I'm not that familiar with the effects of willow mulch you got to listen to that show we had uh, an expert from bartlett trees um from the uk and his research is so exciting oh my goodness i'm desperate to get my hands on some willow mulch at some point well you know willows is where they found rooting hormone mm. that they use and i actually have a lab in one of my prop in my propagation class where people use willows to root cuttings, like they mm. put a, a willow cutting next to some other species, and they found it rooted really easy. So maybe it, my guess would be there could be some extra auxins and enhancing root growth a little bit. Hmm. Well, and the next email that we have. So what people may or may not know is that you are actually the godfather of. Um, shrubs uh cher bush cherries bush cherries oh yeah. you're the godfather aren't you that's yeah that's what i not I the scary you. godfather right like the god the godfather with the horse's well, head or I, I, you know i got my job here and i saw these dwarf sour cherries on their own roots they were only like seven feet tall and i think this is amazing and why don't we grow up? why doesn't the world know about it and and people were the opinion oh we just assume that they're probably no good because they're from Saskatchewan. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I I didn't create them. They actually it actually took three people, uh, at least three people over sixty or seventy years to breed them to be hardy enough, and also they were bushes before they became viable as something people would want to grow. <laughs> so I think the first fifty years they didn't taste good but they survived the winter. And then the last generation, just before I got here, started tasting good. So now they're being grown. These bush cherries that were developed in Saskatchewan are being grown all over the world. Um, I got an email from somebody in Ireland who is uh, growing these, these amazing bush cherries because, like, who wants to have a big, big cherry tree if you can have a little bush, bush with delicious cherries? And they actually last longer than the commercial trees. 
because the the commercial trees they have to get this big thing that grabs the trunk and shakes it and it destroys the tree after like a decade of shaking right and these little bushes you can just renew them just like other bush fruits and they they keep producing well so that brings us to julie's question here and julie writes we grow romeo and juliet bush cherries but have not been clear about watering and pruning. So you gave us a little hint there. Romeo and Juliet are the bush cherries amongst the the range that were developed in Saskatchewan. So tell me, what about the watering and pruning should we know? Well, generally speaking for watering, it's better to water thoroughly once in a while than every day a little bit because then it causes deeper roots. But you really have to know your soil type, like a, a sandy soil, needs much more water on a regular basis than a clay soil. And the Prunus family generally doesn't like to sit in water. You know, if it's too much water, uh, the roots just stop and the whole tree stops. But pruning, um, like other, but you actually let the sour cherry sucker a little bit and they make root buds so they can show up a little bit from the plant. And probably one individual branch coming up from the base is good for 10 years or so. But they start getting real stringy looking after a while, which is they have long branches without any leaves and just a few leaves at the end. And that's because wherever they bear fruit, they don't bear leaves. So if you just cut it out at the base and let new ones form, that's best. So but it's... First, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of nurseries are selling them as single trunk trees because they're not aware of the bushes. Mm. And that whole trunk can die on a bad winter. Then it'll make suckers. But So is that similar to what we described earlier in the show that a lot of these, what bush, this is a cherry, but bush berries as well, you're looking for the oldest branches. Those are the ones you're going to remove. You'll remove up to 20, 25% of the upper part of the 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 bush is that correct it's just the oldest branches let the new ones be right and unfortunately if you if you get a tree that's a single trunk it's harder to turn it into a bush we also um have the i can't i don't remember if it's romeo or juliet in our park and what i've noticed is so if our shrub is mostly like a v-shaped shrub you get branches that go towards the middle and start fighting each other and scratching up against each other Right or wrong, I've been cutting out those middle ones to keep a little bit of more of an open center and less less of the branches uh, sort of um, fighting each other. But was that something you would do, or you'd just let them be unless they're an old branch? No, I, I tend to thin them out. Usually early on in pruning, uh, when, it, when the plant starts to come into production or so, which might be after five years, Usually my first cuts is the middle branches to open it up. But then later, I want to start thinning the outer branches. So I might let a little bit of the middle fill in again. Uh, but you're, you're basically looking at the whole bush and going, I don't want these b- branches that are two inches apart you mm-hmm. know, t- to be competing. Right. And that also, it not only thins it, it makes larger fruit, but it makes less diseases. Because mm-hmm. the humidity isn't held into the tree, and if you did have to spray for something, uh, you could spray it more easily if it's not congested. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Okay, well, that's helpful. Now, we got an email. We got loads of emails today. And sorry, guys, I should have got to these earlier. Um, so we got from Shelly. Hi, Susan. Love your radio show. Listening from Las Vegas. Um, just wanted to enter the contest. The book sounds amazing. Thank you, Shelly. That's great. Thanks, Shelly. And we've got an email from Anthony. Excited for this episode. I have a young serviceberry. I have young serviceberry and elderberry bushes in my backyard, as well as an expanding raspberry bush. I don't know if we have the Saskatoon cultivar here in Maryland. We sometimes call this serviceberry here a shad bush. The flowers appear in early spring when the shad run, according to the North American tradition. Hmm, interesting. I had a problem with my serviceberry bush this year. It had some kind of rust problem on the leaves. What should I do? And this is from Anthony in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, I grew up in Maryland, so. Oh, so you're knowledgeable <laughs> about that. But, um, yeah, they have this uh, rust. I think it goes with, it alternates with um, junipers. Mm -hmm. Rusts are really weird diseases. Hmm. But they, they'll live, they'll make spores on, on the rust, and that'll transfer over to the amelanchier, and then that will have a rust and go back. So it's a fungal disease, and uh, you'd have to spray for it. But um, You know, and also I just want to chirp in here um, that one year here in Toronto, it was a very sort of humid year, and all the surface berries were a mess with that rust. And it was just a really bad year for it. Uh, in the following years, it was okay. So, you know, there are sprays as well, but it, just because you had a bad time this year, does that mean necessarily next year is going to be a problem, uh, do you think? Yeah, a lot of those fungal diseases, you could have a disaster one year, and the next year it's like nothing happened. Yeah. And, and some of the fungal diseases, they actually have their spores right in the bark, and you can't really get rid of like they've done some uh if you took all the leaves out that were contaminated it might not help because <laughs> if it's in the bark oh that's but. interesting because that would be my other suggestion is make sure you clean up all the diseased leaves off the ground yeah. near the tree but i i doubt the guy in maryland is growing the saskatchewan northern type varieties probably growing something uh like if they just called it service bear they probably grew it from seed they're calling it shadbush there. Shadbush, yeah. That's just enough. There's a something with pear. There's like eight common names for it. Hmm. But uh, I, I doubt that it's... I, the, the varieties from the prairies in Canada probably would have more diseases farther south. Yeah, interesting. So it'll be interesting. I wonder what, what he has. Um, oh, here, we've got an email from Alexis. So Alexis says, hi, folks, where can we purchase Bob's book? Also, does Bob have a website? Thank you. Oh, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Well, the, the fruit website is www.fruit.usask.ca. But the Amazon is... Well, the Canadian Amazon is easy to get it, but it's also the uh, Kotu Books, C-O-T-E-A-U. If you search that, you could get it directly from them. Oh, yeah, they can order directly from Kotu's. And in fact, 
For those of you who uh, found the orchardpeople.com website and went to the slash podcast page, and I've got a link to uh, KOTU, uh, the, the, where they sell the book. So hopefully you can just click on that link. An order copy is a very beautiful book with lots of pictures, and uh, I think it's beautifully done. We have another email here from Jane, who also talking about buying. So she says, look, see below for my location. I don't know where, where that is, but she says, where can we buy dwarf sour cherries? Gary in the studio, can we scroll down to see if we can see where Jane is from? Uh, does it say? Oh, yes. Manchester by the Sea. M-A. And is that like in England or something? Uh, it says it's, M- It could be Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm not up on my, my state short form. So Massachusetts, would they, because I know, would they be able to get access? Would they be able to order a bush cherry there in Massachusetts? Well, there's, um, it's a little bit difficult when, when cherries cross borders because they have to be virus certified. But on our website, we list, uh, I think Gurney's is in the States, and uh, there's a few people licensed right now that are in the state. I think Stokes might be one. Um, But it's Gardens Alive that owns the rights to propagate ours in the U.S., and they have several subsidiary companies. Okay, so, um, yes, so she should check Stokes. That would be an option, maybe. Yeah, and but on our website, we list who can who is licensed to propagate our stuff. So okay, and remind us again, your website is? It's fruit.usask.ca. Perfect. Okay, we are going to come back after the break again. We've got another few commercials that we will listen to from our fabulous sponsors. And there's some more questions. Oh, my goodness, this was a big topic, and we have lots of questions. So you'll hold on the line again, uh, I guess, Bob? Sure. Thank you so much. Okay. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and we'll be back soon after this short break. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today. If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, 
check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com workshops. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to Susan. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, creator of the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com. So today our topic is easy to grow berries, and we've to discuss during the show service berries, elderberries, hoscaps, uh, dwarf cherries, and lots more. If, if you missed the first part of the show, you can always download the post- podcast version at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. So today's guest is Bob Bors, co-author of the book Growing Fruit in Northern Gardens and the head of the fruit breeding program at the University of Saskatchewan. So we have had loads of questions in the show today, uh, Bob, but I have another one here from Gilbert. And uh, let's see what Gilbert says. Hi, I wasn't sure where to send my question about Hascap production. I have a place, a future retirement home in Kinley, Saskatchewan. I'm there only for the summer months. I've been trying to grow Hascaps for a few years without any success. I have the pollinator plant and five others. In six years, I've probably had only six berries. The shrubs are about two feet high and do not seem to be thriving. Any help or suggestions would be appreciated. And and uh, Gilbert also says I have the same problems with Evan's sour cherries. Ooh, good question from Gilbert. So, okay. Bob, what do you think about that? Because we were saying about hascaps are this wonderful new berry, delicious and pretty easy to grow, but Gilbert hasn't found that. Well, there's so much to know to find out what, what's going on in his orchard. Like, did, does he have, is it, did he just plant it into grass? Does he have a windbreak? Um, that the Evans Evans cherry isn't quite hardy enough. It's actually more like a zone four plant. We have it die to the ground all the time. But if his only got two feet tall, that would be very strange. Mm-hmm. Like the other thing, sometimes people don't realize hascap ripen so early, and the birds get them all. But mm-hmm. two feet is very short for a hascap plant if he's had it for several years. Um, and it's an interesting thing that he's having a, a similar problem with his Evans sour cherries. Could there be something up with his soil? Like, um... well, yeah. Uh, but my first guess would be weed competition, because some people just uh, rototill a little strip in the grass and plant plants, and then the grass grows around it, and they get stunted so easy. Um, so when yeah. I when I was on, I had a sabbatical gathering wild hascap across the country. And I would look for wetlands where it would be near. And if there was grass, like when I got out of the car around there, I'd hardly ever find half cap. It just can't compete 
with the grass. So they they can't compete. Well, I've just got an email from Anthony. He says sound is gone from the broadcast. That's strange. I hope you guys can hear us out there. Interesting. We've got Gary in the studio is on the job to see what's going on there. Interesting. So it could be competition. Um, It's challenging, isn't it? You know, the other thing I was thinking about, he says he's only there for the summer months. That would be the most important months to take care of the plants. Um, So maybe he'll write us some more and he'll give us some more details about the problem. And the other thing is some of the first varieties were closely related. And if he planted them all, they might not pollinate each other well. Uh Uh-huh. And there was a case where we had two varieties on the prairies and somebody wanted royalty for the name of it. And they all got changed names. Mm. <laughs> and now there's five names for the same two, for each of the first two varieties. Yeah, so tricky, isn't it? Whether Whatever you're growing, whatever berries or fruit trees, oh my goodness, to make sure you've got a pollinator for that plant if it's not self-pollinating. That's yeah. uh, a big part in my course is to, my online course is to teach people how to choose fruit trees that will be compatible and be successful for you and and pollination and oh my goodness that can be complicated but birds will really get hascap if they're used to it yes and that's the other thing perhaps he actually has berries um but but they they just go too quickly who knows so oh we've got alicia alicia says she can still hear us thank you so much alicia I yeah really it's, appreciate it's that. not on this end sorry anthony if you're <laughs> back on logging it you might have to reset your player it's still okay we have no problems on this end oh that's good i can't believe this this uh, this time today has gone quicker than usual it has just flown by and it's time for us to decide and figure out who's won the contest so i am here we go oh anthony's got sound again so I've got, I've picked a, a name out of a hat here, and our winner is Shelly from Las Vegas. So Shelly, you have won a beautiful copy of Bob's gorgeous new book, and that will be sent to you soon. And um, the show is coming to an end, so I want to thank you so much, Bob Boris, for being on the show today and spending this time with us. You're welcome. I hope you'll come back again one day, and we can talk about more stuff. Sounds good to me. Okay, goodbye for now. Okay, bye. That was Bob Boers, co-author of the book Growing Fruit in Northern Gardens and the head of the fruit breeding program at the University of Saskatchewan. So that's it for today. I hope you really like the show and you can learn lots more on my website at orchardpeople.com. And by the way, do tune in to my webinar coming up this Thursday, November 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you want to come and join me, you'll find out about it at orchardpeople.com slash events. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, and thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you again next month. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. 
To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. This show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.